Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This, this is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Today, we're going to be talking to some A's coaches. Former skipper of the ball club, Ken Maka. Former pitching coach, Rick Peterson. And one-time Cy Young Award winner, Randy Jones, who worked with Barry Zito as a kid. A lot of these interviews were about Barry Zito and the path that Commander Cody put together. So it's Ken Maka. Rick Peterson and Randy Jones. Let's hear from Ken, the old A skipper, and what a great coach he was for the A's. Ken, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. I'm doing great. How are you? It's it's great to hear your voice again. How have you been? All right, I'm doing well. Doing well. Yeah, it's a little cold here, but uh, it's okay. Yeah, I I, I, I got to think uh, you're not getting the golf clubs out much these days. Uh, not. And as a matter of fact, uh, it's going to get worse. So it'll get worse before it gets better. Yo, update all of our fans. What have you been doing? Well, um, you know, I I uh, we have a small uh, Division three community college here in the area, and I do help out there. Uh, with their baseball program. We've had three practices so far this year, and uh, that's been a lot of fun. And other than that, uh, I've turned into uh, kind of the chef for the night. Uh, I cook dinner most of the nights and uh, work around the house. So it's it's the retired life. I am playing golf, but uh, not very uh, uh, not very much uh, positive improvement in that game. You know, the... The one thing that you just mentioned, I think we've all become better cooks during COVID-19. Like, we, we've upped our games and our skill level, wouldn't you say? Well, I'm going to say, yeah, there's, you've got nowhere else to go. And, and uh, you know, you, you improve in that level, and uh, that's, that's, that uh, is a uh, forebearer for what's to come later on. You know, uh, I say to my wife, uh, she said, let's go out to eat. And I said, yeah. Uh, well, how about let's just cook here? What do you want? She says, well, you cook better than these restaurants. So it <laughs> uh, means uh, when this is all over, hopefully soon, uh, I'll still be cooking. Well, you know, we think about your time with the Oakland Athletics, whether as a manager, as a bench coach, uh, where you were a part of the revival of the organization. And we're celebrating a lot of the players. And we're going to ask you about Barry Zito because we're going to be doing this special on Barry Zito. But just talk about your time with the A's and such great success that you guys had as a staff and a ball club. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned as a staff. Uh, it's something I thought about when you asked me to come on, uh, you know, we had Ron Washington there, and he was just tremendous uh, with their infielders. Uh, what an enthusiastic guy, uh, great teacher. Uh, guys like Tejada and Chavez, uh, uh, Mark Ellis uh, taught uh, um, Hedeberg how to play first base. Uh, everybody that came up there was touched by uh, Ron, what he did with his work as far as the fielding, plus the enthusiasm that he put out there. And uh, later on becomes a very successful major league manager. 
Uh, you turn it, take a look at the outfielders. Um, at that time, uh, Mike Quaddy was the first base coach and the outfield instructor. And once again, this guy's an excellent base running coach, did a great job with the outfielders there. And uh, it was uh, no problem to bring young guys in like Eric Burns, uh, Terrence Long, uh, uh, Nick Swisher, guys like that who came in and, and they, they played very well also. And, and Mike became a major league manager. And then myself, I was the bench coach. I was kind of in charge of the catchers. And, uh, of course, uh, Ramona Hernandez was a young guy there and developed well. I went on to play well in San Diego. Uh, I liked uh, uh, Ramon very much. Uh, he was a big part of the years when I managed. And, uh, uh, and as, as you know, I uh, became the manager of the A's and then on to uh, Milwaukee. So on the staff, you had three guys who uh, took care of all the position players, the positions I just uh, – uh, mentioned uh, all those uh, gentlemen became uh, major league managers and then of course Rick Peterson was there to take care of the pitchers and uh, what a great job he did with those guys he brought a lot of young guys up who did very well he brought in some uh, <clears throat> experienced guys who he uh, like uh, uh, let's let's see uh our closer, um, Isringhausen, you bring him in from another organization and, and change his role and, and develop him into a great closer. And then you bring in some guys like Corey Lytle uh, from other organizations, Jeff Tam, who uh, came in and uh, did such a great job and played key roles. So he was a guy that could take care of veterans. Uh, he could uh, groom the rookies and then bring in guys that other organizations had given up on, and uh, they were a big part of our success. So the staff, uh, just mentioning those four guys, uh, did a great job. Yeah, we just recently talked to Rick, and we're going to play him uh, later on in the show, where he talked about, you know, here you guys were as a staff and the front office under Billy Bean, you started to do things that no baseball team really had ever done before. You were becoming cutting edge with, with how you guys use data to help you win games. What was it like? I mean, you know, obviously the book, the movie, Moneyball and everything, you, you lived that entire thing. What was that like as a staff when now you guys are, are really changing the way baseball and how you build a team and how you play? Well, uh, that goes along with uh, what I just said about the, the developing the players or bringing in veteran guys who other organizations had given up on. The, uh, the uh, fusion between the coaching staff and the front office was uh, very good. Okay, uh, Billy went out and did such a great job of bringing those guys in. Uh, like I mentioned, the Isringhausen or Johnny Damon or Jermaine Dye, uh, veteran guys who... Uh, really uh, played keys roles to John Jaha, uh, uh, Omega Signs. Uh, you bring these guys in, and uh, as I said before, other organizations kind of given up on them, or they were better guys that fit in. And then you have the development of the young guys by the organization and by the coaching staff. And also, you have to give credit that you didn't mention. They did a great job going out there and drafting. So you looked at a number one pick like a Mark Mulder and, as you mentioned, Barry Zito. Those guys uh, came through the draft, uh, Eric Chavez, and, and wound up being key parts. So, uh, as you mentioned, it was not just uh, one single effort you know, by drafting people well or developing people well or um, going out and getting people through trades. It was a combination of a whole bunch of things. And... Uh, as you said, uh, all these players were, were evaluated by the numbers. Uh, Billy sat there, added up all the numbers, and uh, turned into be a winning formula for the A's. You know, I, I think about the movie Moneyball, and if anybody was done dirty, it was Art Howe, because that's not, I think we all know what a great man Art Howe really is. And you were his bench coach, and you had a great relationship. So for our younger listeners who don't know a heck of a – I mean, Art was also a terrific player back in the day. Uh, just talk about what your relationship was like with Art Howe and what kind of man Art Howe is. Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, this is something that probably nobody knows. Uh, way back in the day when I was in college, uh, 
I was invited to a tryout uh, at Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh, and there were three players there, myself, Art, and another fellow named Terry Stokes, who later got drafted by the, uh, the Red Sox. And out of that tryout, uh, Art was signed and, and sent to uh, A-Ball in the Pirate organization, where uh, he went from Salem, Virginia, and he kind of skyrocketed through the organization, then on to Houston, and, and was a terrific player there. So uh, Art and I played against each other in the uh, Sandlot League in Pittsburgh, and Art went on to sign out of that tryout and, and become a successful player and a manager. Uh, it was nice uh, joining a guy that I knew. Uh, I knew coming through the Pirate organization, and uh, of course, our relationship was terrific. Two Pittsburgh guys we had a lot to relate to. And, uh, you know, when I came there, I said, Art, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. Here's a couple ideas that I do have. And he said, hey, you run with it. You give me the information and uh, give me the advice or uh, information that I need to run a game. And uh, it just uh, meshed perfectly. You know, we're, 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 we're looking back on the career of Barry Zito, and obviously the big three was just phenomenal. But looking at Barry, where he really blossomed in 2002 when he won the Cy Young Award, won 23 games. And then I think about how big he was for you in 2006, especially in the playoffs. What do you remember about Barry Zito? Well, this guy was uh, a perfectionist. Uh, if you've talked to Rick, Rick Peterson, he'll tell you, uh, Barry walked around with a, ro- a watch on. Okay. So he'd go out in the outfield and he'd play long toss and he knew he was going to play long toss for 12 minutes. So he timed himself to do that. And then he was going to go over in the mound and he was going to do his side day and he's going to throw 15 pitches here, 15 pitches there. And, and uh, he was very much uh, into watching the films and observing his delivery this guy uh, was a perfectionist when it came to his mechanics and all the minor details that go into becoming a great player. Uh, him, unlike the other two pitchers, his stuff, so to speak, as far as having that 95-mile-an-hour fastball wasn't there. But his control and command of his pitches was outstanding. And those years that you mentioned, particularly the 23-win season, he had great command on that curveball and his changeup, and uh, he was able to throw those pitches at any count. So if he got behind in the count, three and one, uh, two and one, he could throw that changeup or his curveball for strikes, and it just kept the hitters off balance. What was like for you guys back in those days? Well, you mentioned Art, and Art had a lot to do with that. Uh, Art uh, had come up, as I said before, in a pirate organization, uh, Willie Stargell uh, set the example there. Um, If you remember in 79, it was the We Are Family thing. Uh, It it was such a great organization to come up up through. And uh, Art came up in that organization, and and he continued uh, the the attitude that uh, all the players came up through that organization. You know, a long time ago, and if I look at that Pirate team, and and when I came up in 74, and Art was there in 74, uh, most of the players on that team had come through the organization and and, and played A ball together and double A together and triple A and then got to the big leagues. And the relationships between the players on those teams was just outstanding. And uh, he brought that uh, that particular uh, uh, idea along and uh, and everybody followed it. So Art had a lot to do uh, with the idea of the players there. But here again, as I, as I mentioned earlier, you've got a lot of guys coming in, Johnny Damon and uh, Jermaine Dye, uh, Jim Messier, uh, guys like that that came in from other organizations, but they fit in so well because the, uh, the, the um, clubhouse was very loose and uh, everybody knew that you had to go out and you paid attention to the work you were doing out on the field as far as uh, getting ready for a game. And then we come to the ballpark every day with the attitude we were going to win. And as you look back at the 2002 season, that 20 game winning streak that had a lot to do with that. You know, you mentioned the the pirates in the seventies. And for me, really the first year as a kid where I really start to remember sports was 1979. You know, the Steelers would beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. 
obviously the Pirates take down the Orioles. And I just think about that legendary team. When you when you talk about Dave Parker and Bill Madlock and Kent DeColvey and uh, obviously Willie Starjo, what just a, a National League baseball, there was some terrific teams, like there was the Dodger team. I just I just think back of that pirate team and just how loaded that organization was. Uh, that's true. Uh, I mean, if you look back, and I mean, I'm going back even further. The year I came up in 74, uh, you had a pirate team with uh, Al Oliver, Richie Zisk, Dave Parker, Willie Stargell, Rennie Stennett, Frankie Tavares, uh, Rich Hebner, and Manny Sanguian, all uh, pirate organizational prospects. And, and that was their starting lineup. And then you take a look back at the Reds, and you can go down that list. You know, yeah. Dave Concepcion and Johnny Bench. I mean, they were great teams. But here again, I, I think you're, we're here to talk about the A's. And you can say the same thing for the A's, particularly the 01 season. And, you know, there's uh, Johnny Damon and Jermaine Dye and Ramon and Jason Giambi and Miguel, Miguel Tejada and Eric Chavez. And then you take a look at the uh, Yankees, who at that time was the main competition, but their teams were loaded and they had a lot of great players. So if you look back at the history of the game, uh, there are certain years where certain organizations were loaded up. And, of course, uh, during our stay with the uh, A's, the uh, the Yankees were the standard at that time. When you look back at the 20-game win streak, I- I'm sure you've reflected on it. We celebrate it all the time with the A's. And I-, I just remember watching it just going, I mean, it was just so magical. What was that like being in uniform, in dugout, and you're a part of this team that wins 20 straight games, especially the Hatterberg walk-off? And, and Miguel Tejada had such big hits down the stretch, too. Oh, he did. Uh, I can just uh, – and I, I think there's been a lot of talk about this game, but it was a day game in uh, Detroit. And uh, we got to the ballpark, get the lineup out, and Eric Chavez came up to me and said, hey, could you go in there and um, – tell Art that uh, I'm, I'm a little tired, I need a day off. And I looked at him and said, day off? This is a pennant race. There's no days off. I'm not going in there. You want a day off, you go in there yourself. Anyhow, he didn't take himself out of the lineup, Didn't, and then he comes up, I think, in the seventh inning or something like that and, and gets a broken bat uh, double down the right to a line that was a key hit in that game. But um, that was, uh, as I said before, we came to the ballpark every day. We had five great starting pitchers that year. We expected our team to win, and they went out and did it. And the other thing that was amazing is during that 20-game streak, I think uh, the Anaheim Angels might have won 17 while we were winning the 20. So we went out win 20 games. We only picked up three games on them. So it was a, an intense race, and uh, our guys really uh, – Came to the ballpark with that idea. We were would come out and uh, win every game. Oh, and, and I think about like like how tough the AL West was. I mean, you think about how good your ball club was in 01, and here the Mariners won 116 games. Well, you guys won 102, and you were just a wild card team. Right. That that was crazy. That was crazy. Uh, sitting here in Pittsburgh uh, during. Uh, the last, uh, you know, four or five years ago when the, when the Pirates did get into the playoffs here, uh, they were complaining that uh, they were the wild card and they lost out by a game or two. And I'm saying to myself, look, you guys won, uh, you know, 95 games or 94 games and you're the wild card. How'd you like to win 102 and be 14 games out of first place? So that was kind of crazy that season with the, with the, uh, Mariners winning 116. You know, whether, you know, since Wash has been over with the Atlanta Braves and they've had their success and we bring Wash on, and as I just said, we had Rick on and now having yourself, you know, there's just something special about that era of A's baseball, and it's such a family atmosphere. I mean, when you look back at your time with the A's, uh, what, what was your favorite part about being a, uh, being a part of this organization? Well, I enjoyed the the fans. The fans were outstanding. Uh, I'll never forget the uh, you know the group out in left field and the and the drummers and stuff like that. 
Uh, I thought they were tremendous. And like I said, I not only did the players have that camaraderie, but we did too as a coaching staff. And, I, and I'm still in touch with uh, Mike Quaddy and Ron Washington and Brad Fisher. Uh, still in touch with those guys. Uh, Rick Peterson, every once in a while we, we have a chat. And uh, he went on to be my pitching coach in Milwaukee for one year also. So, uh, yeah, the camaraderie was great. Uh, Run into Art in a uh, – <clears throat> a pirate alumni uh, event a couple years ago. Uh, so, uh, you know, and Art uh, wound up getting sick this year, and the, and the call was out there, and everybody uh, that had been around Art, all was, all the good wishes for him to recover were were out there. So it, it was just a, just a, like the, uh, the Pirates of six, 79, uh, a family. That's exactly what we were. Well, I got to tell you, you still get brought up all the time, and I know Ken Korak is playing golf with you. Oh, my goodness, Ken Korak. Uh, I, I'll relate uh, one more thing to you. We were playing the Yankees, and uh, Jason Giambi came up and uh, hit a walk-off home run. And uh, I was listening to the replay on the way back to my apartment, and Bill King had one of the greatest uh, – uh, sign-offs to that game. Uh, he said, oh, Jason Giambi swings, and there goes a fly ball all right, and Jason Giambi is the man. So that always uh, sticks with me. Uh, not only was the the the, uh, the coaches, the players, the, uh, the broadcast staff uh, had a great relationship with uh, Ray Fossey, Ken Korak, uh, has been terrific also, and uh, so it's always great to touch with those guys. Uh, they came into town two years ago, and we had a chance to go out to eat. Uh, Ken and uh, Steve Vucinich and uh, Mickey Morabito, we all had a nice dinner and had a lot of good things to talk about. It, it was a great time when the A's come in to play the Pirates. Yeah, like a lot of people, let's end on this. Like a lot of people don't understand. Like Steve Vucinich has been here since day one. Mickey Morabito has been here since the since the early 80s. It's like the A's family never really changes all that much. And that's why it's like, you know, Ray Fossey's coming up on the show in about five minutes. I mean, it's just the family stays the family no matter what happens. Uh, right. I, I'll tell you what, the fans in the Bay Area have a uh, tremendous source there. Ray Fossey, tremendous player, uh, great person, uh, a great analyst. I mean, that is a uh, wonderful guy to have around. Uh, I know he's getting a little old. He's a lot older than I am. So be, be feel, feel fortunate in the Bay Area that you still have Ray Fossey doing and analyzing those games. Well, you're a terrific Oakland athletic. We always appreciate the time. Uh, be safe, be warm, and let's talk once the season gets going. All right. Sounds good. Now, our next guest is the guy's fascinating. Rick Peterson is was one of the smartest pitching coaches. He's just a delight to speak with, and we always love having him on the program. Here is the former A's pitching coach. Rick, it's been a while. How are you there in New Jersey? Man, I couldn't be any better. I'm here at the Jersey Shore, you know, right, right uh, in Bruce's country. Um, so it's uh, welcome to the Jersey Shore, right? No doubt about it. And, you know, when I think about pitching, I always think about some of the conversations you and I had in the past. And, uh, you know, this year with pitching, the fact that last year we only played 60 games, there's been a lot of time off. We're not sure exactly how spring training is going to work, how many games we're going to play, but I, I just don't know what to expect from starting pitchers going into the season and how many starts they're going to be able to give you, how many innings they're going to be able to give you. I mean, we're really going into a, a season 2021 with a lot of unknown, wouldn't you say? But we do. There, there's always a lot of question marks and there's always a lot of change. And, and but But I think, and I'm, I'm going to say this and, you know, it's one of my favorite quotes and, and I'm not sure who the quote is from, but in God, we trust all others must have data, you know? So when you start really diving into the data, I mean, so what's unknown coming into this year is the fact that, you know, like the, the high inning totals last year of this past season was somewhere around like 75 or something like that, 80, possibly 12 starts, I think was, you know, somewhere around the most, um, but when you look at the research, what you do have is you have data of healthy pitchers that have had Tommy John surgeries, healthy, healthy major league pitchers that had track record of, of logging innings, let's say between 150 and 200 innings, and then have Tommy John surgery 
and then come back, like say, you know, 16, you know, 12, you know, 12, 14, 16, 18 months later. And then the question always is, where do we go with the inning total for that kind of starter? And, and typically once they're healthy, you go back, you can go back to where their last average, you look at their average in the last three years that they pitched healthy. And, and that's a good barometer of where you can go for that next season coming off Tommy John. So, so coming off Tommy John, that's a limitation health-wise. So the healthy pitchers from last year, you know, they, they should be able to very easily go back to the same uh, total that they had in their last previous average of, say, two, three years. You know, you had so many great pitchers in A's history when you were here with the Athletics, and we're, we're celebrating Barry Zito, who I know is very special to you, and you actually worked with him before you guys were with the A's. What was it like when Barry Zito's father, Joe, called you up, and what was it like when you first met a young Barry Zito? Uh, it was it was awesome, but, you know, let, let me say what's, what's really cool is the fact that we both had very similar philosophical upbringings. So I, I took a transcendental meditation class when I was like 20 years old. And then I got into yoga when I was 21 years old. And Barry, you know, Barry had a mindfulness practice and was into yoga as well, you know, which is very rare for someone that, that, that that's that young at that time. Um, so we had a very, we had a bond very, very quickly. But, with, with, but the story, which is so incredible, I was the minor league pitching coordinator for the Toronto Blue Jays. We were wrapping up spring training. I was looking at videotape around six o'clock at night in the spring training day. when So everybody's gone. And I was just wrapping up the day to, to wrap up spring training to lay out curriculum for our minor league pitchers. And the clubhouse guy comes in. He said, hey, Rick, you have an urgent call. And, and this guy says, you got to take this right away. I said, well, who's it from? He said, Joe Zito. I said, Joe Zito? I said, who the hell is Joe Zito? You know, so I pick up the phone. I said, hi, this is Rick Peterson. He said, hi, this is Joe Zito. I'm Barry Zito's dad. We've done a background check on you, and we've selected you to finish off my son to be a major league pitcher. <laughs> I said, wow. I said, Joe, I said, I'm flattered. I said, I, I said, I don't know how you got my name or whatever, but I'm flattered. But, you know, I don't know anything about your son. And, you know, I don't know if it's even ethical that as a minor league, you know, pitching coordinator that I can work with. A, a kid in college, you know, let me find out. I said, let, let's call back. Let's, let's touch base about a week later after spring training is over. So I called some friends of my scouts and found out like, you know, is, is this, is Barry Zito going to be like a top draft pick? They said, yeah, Rick, he's a potential first round draft pick. You know, I mean, he's, he's scaling that way, trending that way. And I said, oh, wow. So I called Joe, you know, Joe and I connected back and he said, listen, you know, with our family situation, you know, we really don't, you know, have the kind of finances to pay you a lot of money. Um, I said, well, Joe, in all due respect, I have three sons um, and I'm gone away, but, you know, a lot. So when I'm home, I, I like to spend as much time as I can with my son. So tell me, why am I spending time with your son and not with mine for no money? <laughs> you know? And he said, look, we'd be willing to give you a 10% uh, of his bonus. I said, oh, my God. I said, Joe, that is, like, so flattering. I said, first of all, anybody that you would get to work with, Barry, if it's not me, should never take 10% of the signing bonus of a first-round draft pick. That would be so unethical. I said, I'm flattered by that. I said, but, you know, we'll, we'll, let's come up with something creative. And then, you know, I'm open to a bonus if you're happy to, like, you know, how things work out. So, anyway, we, we come up with a deal. And, you know, I tracked hourly wages. And I spent a ton of time with Barry on the telephone initially. And then he was pitching in the Cape League, and I was uh, taking a few days off because as a pitching coordinator, like you travel all over, and then you take a you know a few days off, and then go back around again. So I was in New Jersey, and I get a call from Barry, and he said, "Listen, um, I'll drive down. I'd like to really, you know, as we you know planned, you know, go through my delivery and you know give me some drills and the whole the whole deal." So he comes down. He drives down from the Cape Cod League. Up in, up in the Cape in, in Massachusetts, down in New Jersey. And it was raining that day. It was like a little drizzle in the, in the summertime. And he wasn't going to throw, but we were just going to go through his delivery. So we couldn't even go to a mound. And here we are in a parking lot in a junior high school parking lot. And we're using the lines of the, for the parking spaces as the pitching rubber. And we're going through his pitching delivery. And we spent, I don't know, about 
two hours there, and then we went to a library. Anyway, I, I spent all this time with Barry, you know, coming up. We spent two years together, you know, got involved with his program, you know, laid out his program. So it would be like like professional program. The transition would be very easy for him to come into professional baseball. And so about a week before the draft, Grady Fuson comes up to me, said, hey, Rick, listen, we've been, we've been following Barry Zito. We're, we're going to probably take him number one. Um, he goes, we follow him. We get there early and watch his program and he, all the drills he does. He does our pitching program. <laughs> I said, well, Grady, I've been spending, I spent two years with him for the last two years. I said, I, I hope he would do our program. And he goes, you're kidding me. And he said, he said, can you make sure that, you know, when we talked to his dad, can you make sure that we've told him like the, what the money is and make sure that we don't want to waste his first round draft pick and then them come back and say, we want double the money. So I called Joe and I said, Joe, listen, you know, Oakland wants to take you and what they're telling you, what I, I don't, I'm not involved with what the money is, but whatever it is they're telling you, that's what it is. You know, there's not a whole lot of negotiation in there, you know? So if you're hoping for like double that or whatever, tell them so they don't, so they don't draft you. But I mean, how cool would it be if you, if, <laughs> if Z comes here, are you kidding me with the last two years we spent together? And how I run, I mean, what a story. It's just like a storybook story. I mean, he's like a little brother to me. And so here we go. We draft him number one. And there you go. You know, the next year he's in the big leagues in June. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's just unbelievable. The odds that you two would connect. And I, and I think about the big three. Yeah, you know, I know psychology and your background and just the mental game. I mean, obviously there's a physical part, but a lot of this game is mental. How mm. different was it for you when you were trying to get and teach Barry Zito versus Mark Mulder versus Tim Hudson? Well, I guess the best way I could say that would be that the golden rule of coaching and teaching is I'm going to treat the people I coach and teach, like I would like to be treated. That's the golden rule. The platinum rule is, which is the highest level is I'm going to coach and teach each individual person as they need to be coached and taught for what their personal needs are. And, and to be a great teacher, number one, you have to be, the prerequisite is you have to be a great student. And I became a great student of, of all the pitchers that I coached. But you're talking specifically about, you know, Z and Mark and, and, and Huddy. And so for each one of them, they all had different needs and they all had different, they all had different um, uh, limitations and they all had, and they all had, they all had different strengths, you know, so they all had to be treated individually. I mean, I always used to use the analogy that, you know, if you have 12 pitchers on your team, it's like the UN, you got to be able to speak 12 different languages and, and be able to know exactly you know, how to communicate to that person for the way that they need to be communicated to, for them to understand what we're trying to come together with as a collaboration. And I always came up with the premise that, listen, I'm not your boss. In fact, you're my boss. I'm working for you. <laughs> and, and I'm here to offer you the best that I can, I can offer you. And fortunately, you know, I had a degree in psychology. I co-directed the sports psychology program for the White Sox for five years with Dr. Charles Marr. Uh, that's who I co-directed that with. Um, and, you know, I've I, I received a Lifetime Achievement Award from Dr. Andrews for the study of bio implement, implementation of biomechanics for the pitching program that we ran. So everything that we did was based on research and science, you know. So we weren't, we really weren't guessing, you know, on what the specific needs that they needed, you know? So like, in, like for a golfer, like, let's say you're not chipping that well. Okay. So we need to, we need to bring in the chipping coach. Let's figure out how to chip better. Right. You know, and figure out, and we had all the data because of Moneyball. you know, we were tracking things that nobody else in baseball was tracking at that time, which was incredible. You know, so we had data. There were small sample sizes back then. We didn't have the big sample size. Now you have, you have everything. There's not a sample size. You have the, you have everything that happens. But back then, we only got like pockets of sample sizes, you know, of pitch sequences and you know batting average against a slider, you know, against a right-handed slider, or, you know, batting average against Barry Zito's curveball or or somebody else's curveball, you know. So 
so you know we were applying all that at that time and they were so they fed off of each other and they were so close and it was the coolest relationship that they all had and and one of the things that was really cool which is kind of a cool anecdote about the three of them because when 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 we all realized like how special this really was and you're talking about three pitchers that were drafted. It's talking about our scouting department with through Grady and our, and our pitching program that you got three pitchers that were came to our system year after year after year that were, that were this good that were developed through us. I mean, this, these were not finished products when they were drafted, you know? I mean, so it, like, it wasn't like they, they, they went into the draft, like Jim Abbott came out of the draft and went right to the big leagues. You know, they, they, they had development, you know, they, they, they were developed. And so when you look at that, it's happened, it's absolutely incredible. Like what was happening with this whole money ball thing. I mean, this whole money ball thing was real and, and, and it was all based on data, but they, these kids were so into each other and so into winning and so into, you know, competing and, and being the best. They're all, they, you know, they have like Tom Brady minds. They all have like really Tom Brady minds. Seriously. All three of those young guys did. And, but, but I said to him, I said, you know what? You guys are so cool as a trio. I said, why don't you develop a little routine, which would be so cool. You know, that like after you finish warming up for your game in the bullpen and you're walking into the dugout from the, you know, on the field, like pick out a kid in a front row, not, not a, you know, not a, not go throw it into the stands, but like look somebody in the eye, look some kid in the eye and hand him the ball. You know, or a person in the eye. Maybe, maybe you want it to be a person. Maybe it's a, you know, an older person or a military guy or whatever. But look him in the eye and hand him the ball, you know, and smile at him. I said, that'll be a moment that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. And then hopefully you can autograph it for them. And they all started doing it. And it was so cool. And we had so many cool moments, like walking in from the bullpen. You know, and it'd be like, hand it to this person. And, you know, and you see like, oh, look at the smile on that kid or whatever, you know. And that, that's what was so cool. I mean, they, they were so into giving back. And they understood that at a very young age. You know, you think about Barry's first playoff start at Yankee Stadium against Roger Clemens. I mean, that's when you start to know this kid is special. Mm. And you know what's so cool about it? was the fact that Roger Clemens was one of his favorite. That was his hero growing up. And he wanted to know everything about Roger Clemens. And, you know, because I was in Toronto, I was with Roger for two years. I was, I was the pitching coordinator in Toronto. As I, as I was saying earlier, that's when, that's when Joe Zito called me and Roger was there. And I got to know Roger very well. I followed Roger all over the place. I asked him 10 zillion questions. I did a videotape with Roger about like, Roger, could you, you know, could you explain to to all the minor league pitchers, like what it takes to be best? I mean, this is like classic, you know, and, and Z was just soaked it up. He's like, tell me, what did he say about this? What did he say about that? And, and so here it is, he's going to start against Roger Clemens and we're facing elimination, right? Game four in Yankee stadium. And so they, they always have odd times for the playoffs. I mean, like normally like games are like say seven Oh five or seven Oh nine regular season games, but in the playoffs, you know, because you got the national anthem and you got God bless America and you got, you know, this going on and that going on, you know, like the game starting at like eight eighteen, whatever. And Zio, he would wear a Timex watch. Right. He had a Timex watch, which was so cool because his routine was like something like an odd number, like 23 minutes. So he knew when he walked out and started doing his bands that from from that time to long toss to his drills, you know, it was a 23 minute routine. He had it down to a number. I mean, I mean, that that's that's what makes great people great. They, they they're it's a, their process is like off the charts. So he comes up to me, he says, Rick, you know. I saw the itinerary just real quick when we're in the dugout, right? In Yankee Stadium, he said, exactly what time is, what time is first pitch? They, well, I said, here's the itinerary right here, 819. So, you know, he looks at his watch and we're going, you know, so we're sitting next to each other in Yankee Stadium. It's about, you know, it's probably like 40 minutes before the game. And, you know, so I'm start, I start talking, you know, so here he is. This is his first playoff start. 
you know, in his first season, half season in the big leagues, and he's pitching against his idol, Roger Clemens, right? So I'm talking to him, you know, on the bench. We're sitting in the, on, the, on the bench in Yankee Stadium, like, trying, like I'm trying to relax him, right? Like he needs to be relaxed. So I'm like going, hey, see, I said, hey, did your parents get in okay? Is that everything cool? Did you get your tickets? And they got in cool. And, you know, like just like mundane stuff to kind of bring everything down to normal, you know? Like, is everything cool? As I'm talking to him, he's like doing this panoramic view at Yankee Stadium, looking around Yankee Stadium, right? And I realized he's not listening to a freaking word I'm saying, right? <laughs> he just looked and he's taking this whole thing in and then he turned and he hits me, like kind of taps me on the arm and he looks me, we look dead in the eye. We're sitting about 12 inches away from each other, right? He goes, oh my God, Rick, I've dreamt about this my whole life. Are you kidding me? Yankee Stadium, postseason, fall classic stuff. This is so cool, Rick. And I'm like going, oh my God. I mean, who is this kid, right? You know, I mean, he's a kid. And so now we go out, he starts doing his routine, and we, you know, and, and here he is now. He's long tossing in the outfield with Roger Clemens. You know, so I'm looking at his face, and he's looking at Roger. And, you know, he's like just taking this whole moment in, like, how cool is this for this guy? Are you kidding me? So this fan that was leaning over, so he, he liked the long toss right in the corner of the outfield. It didn't matter, right or left field, didn't matter what, where the bullpen was. So we're in left field corner, and in Yankee Stadium, if you, if you remember, the space between the foul line and the fence, was, it's only about like five feet, right? And this guy's leaning over, like this, like going, hey, Zeno, I slept with your mother last night. And he's like going on and on and on. And I'm like, oh, no. I, I, I run over. I go, hey, geez, are you, are you a professional or you do this for free? I said, hey, will you relax? I said, listen, if you don't calm down and sit down, I'm going to go get the, the, the security. So the guy like kind of backs off and I walk back over thinking like he's like shaking, right? And Z looks at me and starts laughing, kind of smile and laugh. And he goes, he goes, oh, Rick, he goes, how cool is this, man? He goes, I love this. I've been waiting for this my whole life. I'm going, are you kidding me, right? You know, I mean, everybody else would be feeling all this incredible pressure. But he, he looked at this as an incredible opportunity, and he was ready for it. He was totally ready for it. And so, so to finish the story, as we're coming in from the bullpen, we're walking in, and he has the ball, you know, his warm-up ball, so he's going to hand it to somebody, right? And, he's, and I could see he's looking in the stands. I said, I said, Z, there's no green and gold here. <laughs> you know? This is all navy blue Yankee, right? And this one guy's leaning over, and he's got two kids flanked next to him, Look, probably looking about 9 or 10, 12 years old, whatever. And he's like pointing at Zito. We're going to kick your butt tonight. You suck. You guys stink. And Z locks right in on this guy and his kids, right? And I looked at the corner of my eye because I wanted – because I, I had an incident where I had to – like something could have happened in the past. So I, I knew like to be, you know, on guard for this, you know, kind of like, it kind of like secret service for the pitcher. Right. <laughs> so as we start getting closer and this guy's arm starts shrinking, it starts coming back in. Now he's about 10 feet away and he hands the ball to this kid, to the guy's kid. Right. And the kid looks up at Zito and just like, he like looks at the ball and it has this big smile. Right. And the guy totally shuts up. And Z, we start walking to the dugout and Z goes, oh, man. He goes, Rick, did you see the look on that kid's face? How cool is this, man? And I'm like going, wow, you talk about taking something all in, right? So now we get into the dugout and, you know, Z sits down and I walk down, you know, towards the end of the dugout. And, and um, then I came back and we, we start to hit. Almeida signed to the two-run homer off of Roger in the first inning. And... I'm sitting next to Z and Z sitting next to Matt Stairs and Maddie wasn't playing that day. And Maddie was like, just, you know, like all like energized because of the playoffs. And he's like going, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. Oh my God, Roger, he does. He's got nothing. Come on. He goes, I made it. Let's go. Yeah. You know? And, and I, I'm like, kind of like Maddie, did, like I'm, I'm trying to like give Maddie the signal, like let him calm down. Let, get away from him. You know what I mean? Let him sit here and relax. Right. So the inning's over. We got a two run lead. He stands up. And he, and he takes his jacket off and he slaps Maddie on the, on the arm. He goes, oh, Maddie, this is going to be so freaking cool today. And starts jocking out to the mound. I'm like, going, who is this kid? You know what I mean? It's kind of like, who is this guy, right? Like to be so calm, cool, and collected to this whole experience and just being just so present to like what's really happening. 
so I walked down the end of the dugout and I sit next to Art and Art's got the, his lineup card out and he, he's kind of like, you know, just like, you know, kind of writing on his card, but his hand's kind of shaking a little bit, you know, like, you know, he kind of like that nervous energy. Right. And, and he's, as he's looking at his card, he goes like, he goes, Hey, how's the kid? I said, he's doing a lot better than you and I right now, Art. <laughs> and then he goes out and wins his, wins the, his first playoff game in elimination. Is that unbelievable? Oh, it's, it's, it's such an incredible story. And then we've had Barry on to talk about 2002. And 2002, it's the best year of his career. Everything comes together. He wins the Cy Young Award. He goes 23-5, and five, 229 and third innings, 35 starts, a 2.75 ERA. Whatever you did coaching-wise, you did a great job because he became one of the premier left-handed pitchers during this time. Wow. That's pretty cool. You know, but, but as I said, we were so close, so close. And, and, you know, with, with all three of those guys, now that I'm thinking about it, there was a moment with all three of them, with Timmy and, and Mark and Barry and Z, really, I call him Z, where there was a moment that they got a little bit, like, too big for their britches a little bit, so to speak, that I needed to say something to them at that moment to, like, make them really understand, hey, listen, you know what? Get a chance to be something special. To be something special, it's all about your pre- it's all about your preparation. It's all about your process. Preparation equals performance. Talent does not equal performance. And and and, I, and there was there was a moment with each all three of them that I had to take that moment, and I was very strong with all of them. And it was Z. I don't know if you remember, but he was on the cover of um, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, I think. Was he on the cover of Sports Illustrated? But it was like he was playing the guitar, and he, you know, it was all about his guitar, and he was surfing, and and you know, he had the purple hair, and he had the green hair, and you remember all that? Oh yeah, right, right, right. So this was after this was the spring training. This was that that was that off season, and now we're in the spring training, right? And you know, so you know, he's he's become like a big personality, right? He's Z, you know, he's cool. And, you know, he's a surfer, he's a guitar guy. And, you know, he's just a cool dude and he's a great pitcher. And so, you know, he, his, he, he, he got away from his process that year in the beginning of the year. And he, and he was struggling a little bit, you know, and he wasn't pitching like he should be pitching. And, you know, I was like, all right, Hey, it's all right. You know, it's kind of like, it kind of like kind of faded a little bit. And, and there was days I'd come in, I'd go like, hey, dude, like, what, well, what color is your hair? He goes, you know, I'm trying to get it like this one color that's so like, it's kind of like the raven, you know? So it looks black in the light, but if you get up close, it gets a purple tint to it. I'm like, all right, all right, that's cool. That's cool. I said, all right, so listen, I said, um, we, we, we want to make sure today we go through these drills. You know, so I'd come back, you know, to reality. Like, here's what we're doing about pitching, right? And so... You know, it's still like he's still kind of like floundering a little bit. You know, really haven't. I could just see his his mind is distracted. He's into being Barry Zito, the surfer. What color hair am I? You know, all this kind of stuff, right? And so he has a bullpen this particular day, and it, it's a day game, and he's sitting at the table in the in the in the clubhouse. You know, having breakfast. You know, a couple guys around, and he's got like this. Um, uh, sheet of of photographs you know like where you see the negatives you know where you have like a line of you know black and white you know just a line of all these photographs you know what i'm talking about oh, yeah. right i'm trying to explain it. i don't know what it's called you know so he has this and he's looking it up in a light so i'm thinking like maybe you know he's looking at like like pitching photographs you know because we're trying to get his game back on track right and, and i said hey you got you know you got a bullpen in about like 10 minutes he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm cool, dude. I said, all right. I said, well, let's make sure we have, you know, we get ready. We have a good bullpen, you know, so we get ready for our next start, right? He goes, yeah, dude, I'm cool. I'm cool. I said, all right. So then I look at what he's looking at, and it's like all these pictures, like all this fashion stuff, right? Which is, I'm not, 
criticizing whether you should be looking at fashion stuff or not. But the bottom line is like, hey, Z, we need to get back on track here, okay? We're, we're, we're on the job now, okay? This is about your job, your process. This is about, like, you want to be about, like, Roger Clements? Is that who you want to be like? Roger Clements is not sitting here looking photographs of himself, like, playing golf, okay? And how cool he looks in his golf shirt. He's getting ready for his next start. And I had to pull him aside, and I said, you know what? Nobody really gives a about what color your hair is, unless you're pitching well, okay? If you're a really great pitcher, yeah, it's a cool story. It's a cool story you play guitar. It's a cool story that you serve. It's a cool story that you write music. That's a cool story, or what color your hair is on Tuesday or Friday. But you know what? You, you, you don't pitch well, and you're just, just a, a nobody? Nobody cares about that. I said, why don't you get focused on what you're really here for, what your purpose is? You know what your purpose here in life is? Is it to surf? Is it to play guitar? Or is it to be the best pitcher you can be? You need, you need to make up your mind which way, which way it's going to go, okay? And today's the day we're going to make it up. And if I have anything to say about it, it's going to be, we're going to be the best pitcher today. Today, we're going to be the best pitcher, okay? We're going to move in that direction. You want to change your mind tomorrow? Come and tell me. But, but today, we're getting ready to have a bullpen to get ready to start dominating again, okay? You got that? And that was and that was my, that was my one and only, I think, because I only had one and only with all three of them. You know, you know, you, you know let's end on this as as we're we're going to be looking back at the 2001 team. You know, when you look back at this team, they won 102 games. Obviously, we know what the Mariners did. It was incredible. I mean, it's hard to believe you're in second place when you win 102 games, but you had so much talent. You know, Jason Giambi was still there. Uh, you had so many great players. Just when you look back, what do you think about when you look back at that 2001 Oakland Athletics team? I think that was, uh, I think that was absolutely the, the, the best team, the best team that we had while, while I was there, without question. Um, we, we, had, we had everything. But, you know, again, you get in the playoffs and things just don't go your way. You know, at that moment, and it's just, you know, I mean, when you look back on on all those... It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.